am so excited to introduce you to Dr. Tim Spector. I just love what this guy is all about and the groundbreaking work that he is doing in the world around gut health, which, as we will discover, plays a critical part in overall health and well-being. Tim is an award-winning scientist and author with over 1,000 articles published in some of the world's top scientific journals, placing him in the top 1% most cited scientists on the planet. He is a professor in genetic epidemiology at King's College London and scientific co-founder of ZOE, a personalized nutrition program from the world's largest nutrition science study. Honestly, if there is anything we should be doing when it comes to overall health and well-being, we really need to build our knowledge around gut health and start looking at the diversity of what we are eating. You cannot miss this episode. Here we are. Dr. Tim Spector, welcome to Virgin Active Minds. How are you? Ah, great. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Look, I'm stoked that you're here. I've listened to you on another podcast. I'm absolutely blown away by what you're doing. I love your Instagram. I saw the sag tofu recipe today and I cannot wait to make that tomorrow. So look, I'm really, really stoked and very grateful that you're here with us. We are going to talk about gut health, gut microbiome, and I would like if you could start for the listener, giving us a bit of an overview or a rundown on this connection between gut health and and overall well-being. And, you know, within that also, you know, this is Virgin Active Minds, um, you know, a touch on, on mental health would be great as well. So we can't exist without gut microbes. So they are, when, they, when they've done this to animals, basically they don't function in any social way and they find it hard to maintain enough food to get by and they have a really weird immune reaction and lots of mental problems. So we know that we've evolved with gut microbes for millions of years for a reason, and that is they are absolutely essential for our health. And the way to think of these, our gut health is to understand the community of gut microbes, which we call the microbiome, as really this collection of hundreds of trillions of microorganisms, which are bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites that all work together in a little community, a bit like a jungle or a garden. And I think they're like a virtual organ that they're working together because each of them is a, like a mini pharmacy, that they are producing key chemicals that our body uses. It uses these chemicals in, in ways we're only just sort of unraveling in the last few years. But Firstly, they're absolutely crucial for our immune system and signaling to our immune system, most of which of the cells are in our gut, actually. Most people don't realize that, but most of our 70% of our immune system is in our gut because it's communicating with these microbes. And that immune system stops you aging, it stops, it helps fight cancer, it helps fight infections, help fight COVID, etc. etc. Stops you getting food allergies and autoimmune disease. So that's pretty important. But that's just one bit of what these guys do. They also send chemicals out to regulate your metabolism, which is your sort of energy balance and your energy management system. So determine you know, things about your, your weight control and how much fuel you're burning. They also have effects on the brain and 
because many of these chemicals they're produced are neurochemicals. So most people have heard of serotonin, happy hormone. Um, your bugs make most of this, and they do all, all this for many other types of, of brain chemicals. And we know these you know, enter the brain through various different routes and are really important for your mood, your uh, whether you're anxious or not, uh, controlling appetite or when you feel full, and all kinds of other areas we still know very little about. But they're crucial for your physical, your mental, and your immune health. And that's that's why... We all need a gut microbiome, and not only that, we need a healthy one. And the more healthy our gut microbes are, the healthier our body is. And all the studies have shown that. And what they do is, they to, to test that, they take these studies where you look at the, the genetics of your gut microbiome. So just like you would look at the genetics of your own DNA, all these bugs have DNA, and you can work out how many you've got and all the different species just by doing a genetic test of your a poo sample. The healthiest guts are those that have the most diverse species. So they have a whole range of good microbes. And, and that's really the, the key to this, because that means that you've got the best possible supplies for your pharmacy. Okay, you're, you're really stocked up. So you can be really flexible in producing the very best chemicals for your brain or your body to function properly. And I think this is a real paradigm shift in our thinking about nutrition and health. So clearly, very broad ranging in in regards to or I you know it's touching all parts of our well-being absolutely when you just mentioned there around having you know the people with many different kinds is that regardless of other factors like culture or race or uh, how much someone might be physically active what their mental health is like is that you know is that a fairly you know, just having a lot of different types of my organisms living within us, is that a pretty blanket ideal for all of us regardless? Yes, I think all the studies have shown that the greater that diversity of microbes, the healthier you will be. Now, some of the factors you mentioned uh, have an effect on that. So we know that, you know, people that are in a high state of physical fitness, for example, do have more diverse microbes than the sort of similar people who don't train and are not fit. But we know that the predominant factor is diet. So diet still trumps exercise and fitness in terms of getting your gut health right. It's the number one factor. But we now increasingly know lots of little factors that have an effect. A lot of the are individual microbiomes, which are unique. So you and I will only share maybe 25% of our major species of gut microbes. And we all have very unique sets of strains that are particular to us, you know, only shared by maybe one in 100,000 people. And so this uniqueness, I think, is, is also a really interesting finding. So we're far more unique in our gut microbes than we are in our genes. So you and I are, are like fifth cousins. Maybe because my mum's Australian, we might be actually fourth cousins, but let's not get into that too much. But yes, the point is that we share 99.5% of our genes. We've always thought of that as the reason for people being different. But it turns out that the reason we react all very differently to foods, environment, exercise, etc., is probably the these gut microbes that uh, are producing all these chemicals, they're changing the chemicals they get in, whether it's through medicines or through food, and producing a whole variety of different effects on our body. And I think this is this is what we need to understand. Of course, when we're, we're born sterile, okay, so this is 
different to our genes, which you know we blame our parents for. We're born sterile. We get them, a lot of them through childbirth, but then we formulate it in the first, critically, first three or four years of life. That's when your own community starts. And even identical twins at three years have very different gut microbes. That's, that's part of what happens. And that's, that's very much the environment you're in. It's the diet you're getting. It's how big the family is, whether you've got pets, whether you live in the country, whether you live in, in cities, how much antibiotics you were given as a kid. All these things have big effects. And we do know that you know, we have many less microbes as a population than we had, say, 100 years ago. Uh, we've lost about half of them. And that and that's from studying hunter-gatherer tribes uh, that, you know, like the Hadza in Tanzania that I, I spent some time with and many other sort of fossil relics, etc. So, we, and, and also if you go to Africa and India and look in you know, developing countries, they have a much bigger range of gut microbes that probably help them survive. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is can we learn from those cultures and people is are we able to kind of dare i say i guess use what they have you know can that be reintroduced back into our western culture well there's two ways of doing this one you can go and spend time with them which which i did and i i ate their, their diets for, for about four days just you know eating all the berries and the baobab and digging up tubers and living you know camping in the dirt and my gut diversity did increase by about 30% in a short time. It was very temporary. So as soon as I got back on the airplane and had airplane food again, it sort of uh, disappeared. So, and people have tried fecal transplants as well. Um, I don't know if you were referring to that, but if you take hunter-gatherer's poo and you put it in a magi mix and you, um, you say you take the healthiest hunter and you try and put it in a human some people have tried this a guy called jeff leach actually tried it and it only had temporary effects on him so it's not as simple as simple as that i think we can learn you know the fact that they are healthy because they don't take antibiotics they they eat a huge diversity of foods over 500 species of plants and animals they would eat in a year and they are very close to nature and you know are mixing with the soil and plants and animal life and they have lots of dogs around them and you know they're pretty healthy they just don't get cancers or diabetes or western diseases they just fall out of trees that's maybe or or they get you know killed in hunts but um yeah they're pretty good life so we can learn we definitely can learn from these these groups and try and recreate some of the good things about that our ancestors had and you know realize some of the harm we're doing although i think the number one harm we're doing to ourselves is probably you know apart from antibiotics is probably ultra processed food i think that's that's the western ailment you know whether in the us uk australia the majority of our calories now come from ultra processed food made in factories from super refined foods that contain have no nourishment for the gut microbes and they actually have chemicals that are harmful for them these emulsifiers these preservatives these artificial sweeteners that we never evolved to digest or eat and so they have negative effects so i think that they're the sort of lessons uh, we can learn what's the greatest misconception today that people out there have around gut health i think they associate gut health really with just bloating and constipation and and it's a problem with food. I think they, they see this as a superficial side of it. And, you know, it's not to trivialise it because, you know, in some groups, the population is one in four people suffer from poor gut health. But they don't realise that's actually a symptom of 
having a very poor set of gut microbes that are you know, mal-suited to their diets or, or their lifestyles, etc. And this whole problem of irritable bowel syndrome is a relatively new concept in medicine. No one really talked about it 50 years ago. And it's now one of the commonest Western conditions. And I think people need to realize that, yes, you know, bloating, constipation, they're not just problems of single foods. It's a whole problem of you're not feeding your gut microbes properly. You've developed a series of rather narrow inflammatory microbes. And I think that's people just perceive it in that light. Or if they think of gut microbes, they think of them as harmful. Think of them as causing traveler's diarrhea or nasty E. coli or salmonella, whatever the particular problem is. So I think people don't think of, of gut health in the way of, say, brain health or in you know heart health whereas if you thought of it more as an organ then i think you'd have a slightly different view in it and certainly we know that bloating constipation diarrhea are symptoms of a really non-diverse set of gut microbes an unhealthy ratio of good to bad bugs but most people haven't yet made that link and are still just trying to cut out foods and treat it like it's an allergy and not look at a holistic picture of their health and with that, do you think that the just the overall uh, awareness of gut health as critical to our well overall well-being, do you think that that understanding is growing? Like if you were to take 10 people off the street today, do you think that half of them would be able to tell you, yeah, I get that gut health is important for me, but... Uh, you know, I, I don't know what to do about it, but at least there's that level of awareness. Or do you th- still think that it's just not well known enough yet? Uh, 10 years ago, I'd have said it had been, you know, one person out of 10. Uh, now I would think maybe either four or five out of 10 would know about it. So it's definitely made huge progress. Even in the last five years, I think the general public uh, do know about it. There's more pro- programs on TV. It's more mainstream. People are talking about it more openly and so, yeah, I, I, you know, but there's still a lot of people who don't and uh, are ignorant of it or only know what advertising, you know, marketing uh, products or they only think of it as, oh, that's just probiotics or that's just, you know, some fancy yogurt. So I think there, there's, there's still a lack of education. And that's Partly because, you know, it's not really taught in medical school. It's not taught to health professionals. And, you know, there isn't really a specialty that owns it at the moment. And so people are getting their information from all over, whether it's their personal trainers or it's, who you know, their physios. They're often not getting it from their GPs uh, or seeing it as mainstream health. And yet, if you thought of it as, a, as a, a virtual organ in your body that weighs the same as your brain and you started to look after it and, you know, every time you saw a doctor, you had a sort of gut health check then it would, uh, you know, suddenly you'd get nine out of 10 people uh, on it very quickly. Can we talk about our Western diet for a moment? I was just looking before we started this chat, you know, and in most Western countries, the guy, you know, the government guidelines around, you know, two to three cups of vegetables a day. Can you tell us a little bit, maybe, you know, the, the problems with that problems with our overall diet and and what what we should be focused on. I mean, I you know, I, I think right now in Australia, most people aren't eating two to three cups of vegetables. So if, if we got there, that would be amazing. But I, I guess 
knowing you know the work that you've done and and what you promote it would be good to get a bit of an understanding of where someone where the listener might be now but where we should be at when it comes to our our diet for gut health the so, so failure of the five the I think the UK started it the five a day, then Australia took it one further and said, well, let's make it seven a day. And then uh, everyone realised that no one was even getting like one a day. Um, so they started changing tack. And then, of course, but the manufacturers loved it because they could stick on their packets of horrible artificial orange juice for kids that this is one of those, you know, their kids five a day. And so it's been very important in marketing ultra processed foods as if they're healthy. So it's had a sort of negative effect in many quarters, which I think is very dangerous. I think that one of the reasons it failed is that no one really understood why it should be good and why, you know, orange juice didn't solve all the problems. It was never really explained to people why. And so if people don't understand it, they just say, well, you know, I drink orange juice with my cereal in the morning, I'm fine, you know. Why would having more than that help me? So that's why, you know, in my books, you know, uh, and the sort of philosophy of the company Zoe uh, is that we encourage more diversity of plants in a week. So we try and move people from this rather just trust us, do this approach, which has failed miserably uh, without really engaging the public to say, well, yes, 30 plants a week is the optimum for gut health. If you can get 30 plants in you, our studies across the US and the UK uh, clearly show that's the sweet spot for getting the most diversity of your gut microbes. So then you've got some target to aim at and you can then explain to people that you know each individual plant has a different series of chemicals. They nourish different sets of microbes. That gives you that diversity. That gives you that powerhouse of a pharmacy that can really fuel your body and help your immune system. That's, you know, and that people can gradually understand that and then it makes more sense what, what they're trying to do. And they're not going to eat ultra-processed foods. They're not going to, you know, hopefully not have orange juice as a health drink. They're going to realise that they need to nourish their microbes. So, you know, it's a bit like telling a gardener what you need to look after your garden. Uh, you need seeds, you need fertilisers, you need variety. You know, if you've got tropical fish, you look after them. And, you know, we need to start educating people about our guts in the same way that you... you You've got to look after these guys. You know, they are crucial for your health and living to a ripe old age, you know, free of illness. And uh, this, is the, this is the beginning of that journey. And I think this is, I think it's a message that people are endorsing finally. And, um, you know, that's why people are asking me on podcasts and uh, why people are buying my books. And uh, I think that's, you know, so it is happening, which wasn't happening sort of five, five years ago. I think we're reaching a, an important tipping point here. People do want you know, to know the truth about food. They know it's not about calories and it's, it's, no, it's not about uh, fat content and uh, all these stuff we've been, we've been spoon-fed. And, uh, yeah, I think that's what we need. So it's 30 plants, and it's not as difficult as it sounds. I know your, your face looked a bit sh shocked at that, uh, trying to get 30 plants in you. It's, but it's thinking what a plant is, and I, it surprises people. But for me, there's a fermented bean that a lot of us have every every day. It's called coffee, and it's very good for your health. And it is one of your 30 a week. 
similarly, every nut and seed, and there are lots of different ones, each of those counts as a, uh, a different plant. Herbs and spices are also key plants in this. So actually, it's not that difficult if you sprinkle stuff on your salads and your, your yogurt. Yeah, it, it, it's all good. So that diversity is my number one tip really for gut health. There, there are a few more, but that's the number one. And that diversity is feeding a range of organisms within our gut. Does it, because I'm just thinking about, you know, if, if we have grown up in this really sterile environment and then I, our diversity within our guts today is not very big, would changing my diet today to 30 different types of plants a week help to grow the diversity or do I kind of need something like, will that naturally happen, the growth of the diversity of them? Or do I need to somehow reintroduce these different microbes back into my system? The answers are not totally clear, but we do know that people who do go on diverse Mediterranean-style diets, high in fiber and all these different plants, do increase their diversity. In general, it does work. There might be some microbes that you can't resuscitate, that they're, you know, because what we think is that a lot of these microbes are hanging around in our gut in a sort of suspended animation or in spore form, waiting for some nutrient to get them out of their hibernation and then come out. There's, a lot of people think the appendix is there to harbour a whole range of little reserve microbes that would come out if actually the food source is there and they can actually survive. So I think for most microbes, I think you can promote them. I think there might be some guys that you um, might need to actually introduce them from. You've got to realize also we are, <clears throat> just by living together, we are transmitting microbes between each other, within families, within the workplace, uh, just touching each other, uh, kissing, having sex, um, stroking your dog. You are, you are getting other people's microbes and whether they survive in you or not will depend whether they've got any food. So... Some of this is coming from our environment and, you know, we can pick it up. There will be a few, you're right, that might be more tricky. But in general, you can go a long way just by improving your diet. Would things like growing your own vegetables or eating bush foods on a bushwalk, would those sorts of things be beneficial? Generally, they add, if they add variety, yes. And we know that home, home vegetables generally are healthier for you. They have slightly more nutrients. They're obviously free from pesticides and herbicides uh, that are a problem for our gut microbes if we have too much vegetables and we don't we're not buying organic and on a bushwalk particularly or, you know wherever you're, you're going if you can get some these wild berries for example they have like a hundred times more defense chemicals than traditional foods that have been cultivated for years just for their size so and we haven't really touched about these these defense chemicals but this is the reason that you should eat the rainbow. You know, you should look for things that are brightly coloured. Uh, berries uh, are a perfect example of that. But then you've got nuts and seeds. You've got grapes. Um, you've got red wine. You've got dark chocolate. You've got olive oil. These are slightly bitter, tannic, bright coloured plants that have these defence chemicals in them that our microbes feed off. So picking those in your diet is another way to enhance it. So eating strange little berries and things not only adds diversity and might bring other microbes with it into your into your gut that you're not used to, but it also gives you the, that 
huge boost to your microbes. Like it's the supercharged energy source of these uh, natural defense chemicals in plants. That's why gloves are attracted to slightly bitter things, and um, you know that astringency on the tongue when you have a, a red wine or uh, a grape skin. That's exactly what, you know. That's because it contains these incredible chemicals that you can notice. So always pick, and I go into this in my book, Food for Life. You know, if you're trying to pick vegetables, always go for the one that's bright, more brightly coloured, loose leafed. It's got reds and browns and blues in it. It's not just boring beige or, or only green. I think that's that's a pretty good lesson, and it correlates well with the defence chemicals. That in a way, it's related to how hard the life it's had, and I think. Some of these wild berries and things had a tougher life and they need more defense chemicals. From the work that you do and the people you meet today, what do you think is the greatest challenge that people are facing trying to implement good practices and use, you know, what you're talking about, 30 different types of you know, variety of food each week. What do you think are the greatest challenges that the everyday person is facing? I guess it depends at what point you're starting. So I, if you assume that they've, I don't know, read my books, know a bit about it and, and want to implement it. So they're, they're sort of reasonably educated about it. They understand. And then they say, what are the challenges of sticking to it? I think the good thing about it is it, it's potentially sustainable. Um, we're not talking about calorie restriction. We're not talking about anything that puts you through great pain, we generally think, well, eat more, you know, that's, that's the sort of advice. To try and get more variety in your diet, you have to not be in a food desert. So, you know, if you're in, you know, you know some deprived area of, uh, in, in the outback in Australia, when you've only got, you know, terrible store, you can't get decent food, you've only got takeaways, that's, that's one problem. But, you know, online shopping is a way you can get around that generally. I think, realizing how you might want to change your your environment so people go to work and they the work canteen doesn't serve this stuff so they've got to do stuff themselves so i think it it does take a, a, a change you may want to eat your meals at different times uh, to get the maximum benefit but i think it, it's all about experimenting you are flexible you say i want to achieve this but i realize that it doesn't fit in with my current work time space you know i'm not going to get this in the work canteen therefore i've got to either skip breakfast and have it later or i've got to carry my packet of nuts and seeds that i can sprinkle on my food to get that extra bonus i think in lockdown all of us had a huge opportunity to change and many people did we did a big survey with in the uk and found that you know we looked at over a million people and about a third of them had really improved their their health during that time because home working allowed them more flexibility. So I think it's firstly education. Second, it's realizing you need to be flexible with your life. And people who have no flexibility find it tougher. People going to work every day or traveling, you know, people who are traveling in their car do find it really tough and they need to take food with them because they stop at a you know motorway service station, they're going to get crap food and you know, negate any benefits they're, they're getting. But I think the point is that it's unlike a sort of Weight Watchers diet where you say, well, okay, I didn't manage my 30 this week. You know, I failed. You know, this is, this is for life. You know that on average over a month, you might be getting over 20, you know, uh, that's fine. It's not like you're punished. But some people are in this mindset of, oh, I have to, you know, if I'm not losing this weight, I'm not doing this, I'm a failure. And I think that's why 
uh, the success is working, and that's why you know fifty thousand people have done through the Zoe program and, and are succeeding. And we've got another another people using our free app in the UK just trying just purely doing that. I'm going to eat extra plants every day. We have about ninety percent success rate on that. So you, you just set yourself small targets. Don't beat yourself up if you fail. You know, just try try better next week because we realise that you know everyone is different and everyone's situation is different. And you know, the thirty plants is an average, so we don't know. For you, you might be fine on twenty. I might need thirty five. Might change with age. We haven't. We're still fine tuning that advice. It's it's more of a general guideline. You know, if you can't do it, then you have more fermented foods, and uh, we haven't talked about those, but they are you know nearly as important as getting probiotic foods into you your yogurt your cheese and you know the four k's kombucha kraut kefir and kimchi and you know there's lots of ways of making sure that your gut health is generally good that's important that people take a flexible lifelong approach what's sustainable for you and your family long term don't beat yourself up if you you fail one day I absolutely agree. And I love that, you know, that frame of mind when we're thinking about food, because we know diets don't work. And a big part of that is, you know, this failure, you know, you fail one day and then everything is over and it's a very negative way. It's about restriction. Anyway, we won't get into that, but this, yeah, this idea that this is a practice for life and we can start today and take little increments, right? Little, little increments each month, a better way of eating more diverse food and obviously a lot of plant-based diverse food as well. Yeah, and slowly get rid of the ultra-processed food. Yeah, and realise what, how much of the food you're eating is ultra-processed, which you thought was healthy and you realise isn't. And, you know, I go into this in a lot of detail in the books and, and I think that that's what people are being missold food is healthy that isn't you know there's nothing healthy about children's yogurts nothing healthy about fruit juices most smoothies uh, breakfast cereals you know this is the stuff you need to replace with real food and it's just changed that mindset it doesn't mean you can never have you know ultra processed food or you know a greasy burger or a kebab every every now and again you know we're all human and they're often very tasty in the right you know that right moment don't kill yourself about it isn't the concept is if you can build up your gut microbes to be healthy and diverse you can you know have the odd trip to burger king or mcdonald's you know you're resilient you know you can deal with it and who knows, a little bit of poison might be, every now and again might do you good. You know, it stimulates your immune system. <laughs> Speaking of that, what could the food industry do? You know, like what should the food industry do today to make this better, easier, make it more known? They could certainly promote fruits and vegetables more and do discount. Uh, well, that's more the supermarkets. But the food industry itself needs, to, it's not going to because until somebody makes a, a playing field that's flat, they're always going to be competing with each other. So I think the food industry is a bit like, it's a bit like in the 1970s or 80s in cigarettes when they're saying, well, yes, we know this isn't very good, but this stuff's healthy because we've added vitamins to it. This stuff is better because it's got less sugar. We've added artificial sweeteners. What they should do is not mislead people with low calorie, low fat, high in vitamins, no added sugar, all this labeling, which is, is just plain you know, wrong and upsets me the most. Everyone knows you have a Coca-Cola, a Mars bar, a Twinkies. That's not good for you. That's, but that's transparent, right? But it's all this other stuff, the pseudo-healthy stuff. They should just say, listen, selling this stuff to kids is, is immoral. But 
they won't do that until governments start saying, you know what, so we need an even playing field. And I think they're not bad guys, the food industry. They just want to sell product. If they were told, okay, you need to make this with some fiber, you've got to put, take the gut into account, you've got to get people these artificial ingredients, or if you're not going to get them off it, test them to prove they're safe. Okay, all this stuff that gets added, there are these drinks, like these protein drinks out there that have like six different types of artificial sweeteners added to it for kids to make them super sweet. All our data suggests that artificial sweeteners all have a negative effect on the gut and giving it to you know young kids, etc. Really important that we don't lose sight of that, but it takes governments to, to do that, make that decision. And I think we're a long way from that. But I think supermarkets can do this and many of those you know will try and steer customers towards healthier foods and i think that's that's my hope is that they're perhaps more health conscious they want to be good for their customers they would do this look you touched on weight just earlier as well has is there any correlation with more healthy gut microbiome and any links to better weight management Yes, nearly all the studies show that overweight and obese individuals have disrupted gut microbes, less less microbial diversity, more inflammatory microbes. And it's probably a bit of cause and effect. So sometimes being obese puts you in an inflammatory cycle, which can change maybe your gut milieu. And, but also mouse studies have shown that you can actually increase obesity by transmitting microbes from one mouse to another. So it's definitely related. There was some data showing that um, uh, fecal transplants, poo transplants, might actually help people with obesity. You take from a skinny person, you get to an overweight person. But those studies have, have, have shown really no, no great results. So that's unfortunately not the quick fix if you're, if you're obese. And, but interestingly... People who have bariatric surgery, which is one of the, the cures for obesity and diabetes, move bits of the intestines around. You basically can cure your diabetes within 24 hours. And that's probably because your gut microbes have totally changed. Uh, they're just, you get like a trans, that is an internal transplant of your microbes from one part to another. They then produce different chemicals, different signals to the brain, and uh, that changes it. So I think there's, there's definitely a link. We haven't quite worked out how to yet harness it so far. There are a few probiotics that use, look at new microbes that might be helpful in this, but uh, it's still slightly early days. But there's, yeah, undoubtedly uh, a strong link. Well, it sounds very promising. I mentioned earlier, I love your Instagram and I discovered a post not too long ago around, this is completely off topic, but around the use of beetroot in the bedroom. Could you give us a bit of an, a rundown on what that might be? Yeah. So as I, I was researching food for life, which is basically an A to Z of food, and I was doing the vegetable section, came across beetroot and was sort of digging deeper and deeper into it and found that it was the symbol to announce a brothel in Roman times. So they used to hang a beetroot outside the, the house of ill repute uh, to attract customers. And it turned out they had a reputation of helping men's staying power, shall we say, when they visited these ladies. And it turns out that there there is something in that, and there have been a, a few rather small, slightly iffy studies suggesting it might help, because 
actually you produce nitrous oxide and you get all these nitrates in the in the beetroot that in theory are good and there is actual harder evidence that beetroot juices blood pressure the the nitrous oxide has an effect some other drugs and actually will reduce your blood pressure three times more than reduction in salt so it's not a trivial finding so it's quite possible it has some very minor effects uh, on your sex life but it certainly does have really good effects on reducing blood pressure so i'd advise anybody who uh, suffers with blood pressure problems to to get get into their beetroot uh, uh, not yet recommending it for marital problems Right, okay. But also interesting that the ancient Romans maybe found this correlation without modern science as well, which is really fascinating, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now, I think we have a lot to learn from history, which we used to dismiss as, you know, old wives, old wives tales. Before we started thinking about food differently, and this is very much what I want people to do is to think about food. Actually, you know, we're always reductionist, but, you know, something like a beetroot has about 900 chemicals in it. And in the past, we've only thought of a thing that you know makes it red, or a carrot. We only thought of it as you know the the chemical that makes you helps you see. Or wine is only that resveratrol. Or you know everything is reductionist. But we take this big picture and say we really don't understand all these amazing things in plants that are uh, potentially you know game changers. I think that's what I want people to get really excited again about eating plants, and that's why if you eat your thirty you know, get close to your 30 plants a week. Just think of these amazing chemicals that could be doing all this good. Tim, my last question for you, for the listener there right now, what would be the take home? What would be the one thing that they might be able to do today to move towards, you know, better gut health? The first thing is to realize that every time you you put something in your mouth, you're feeding not just yourself, but trillions of other guys. Okay, so sort of mindful eating would be the sort of general message. Think of your gut microbe. And then if they can remember five simple rules, I'm cheating a bit from your one question, but 30 plants a week, eat the rainbow, have regular fermented foods, a small amount regularly, at least every day, avoid uh, ultra processed foods as much as possible, and give your gut a rest overnight. This time of time restricted eating definitely works. The science is now 100% behind that. Eat Give yourself a 14-hour break uh, between your last meal and your next one, and all that will restore your gut microbes. And, you know, those five points uh, are the take-home message. And do it your own way and experiment yourself. I think that's the the key to this, is everyone needs to be their own little mini-scientist to work out what, what works best for them in a sustainable way. And hopefully you never worry about calories ever again and move people from that paradigm to think about quality and and tastiness of food and get back to really enjoying food as it was meant to be enjoyed. Beautiful. What a fantastic message. Tim, where can people find you if they want to reach out? Instagram is probably where I'm doing most most of my nutrition stuff. Tim.spector book food for life is available in Australia, the UK, and just coming out uh, this coming week in the US, which is really a a sort of Bible a food Bible about all this stuff. And it also talks about the company Zoe I co-founded, which is this personalized nutrition company. Uh, when you look at joinzoe.com to find out if you want to get involved and find out how you react to food in, a, in an individual way. And that's available in the UK and the US at the moment. Not yet Australia, unfortunately. Coming soon, we hope. 
Beautiful. I look forward to it. Guys, we'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes as well so you can check them out there. Tim Spector, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on Virgin Active Minds. My pleasure. Wow. There were so many light bulb moments in this chat, but the big one for me, coffee is very good for us. I've actually been off coffee for the last three months, so guess what is happening tomorrow morning? But seriously, 30 plants a week. I was running through my veggies, nuts and spices that I've used this week, and I'm not there. This is going to be my well-being focus from now, and I'm going to ask you to join me. I'm sure there are many people in your life who need to hear this chat, so best you share it. Thanks so much for pressing play. I am forever grateful. Until next time, bye for now.